Hello, and welcome to the Anthems Podcast. I'm Patrick, and today I'm going to try and tell you the story of a song that helps to tell the story of a nation. The globe-trotting musical journey continues, but it wouldn't be going anywhere without you. So thanks for listening, and welcome to Episode 4, The Republic of Seychelles. Uh, This is a show that is not going to follow a regularly scheduled release schedule uh, until I figure out how to do the research and writing for this show correctly, because I I just have not yet, and uh, it's new, so, but it'll be here, don't worry. Now, as I said, today is episode four, The Republic of Seychelles. Today's anthem is Coste Seselwa. It is brought to us by a list of the current 54 African countries in order of largest to smallest population. Seychelles is the very last country on that list, and it earns it the fourth spot on our trip. I'm reasonably sure that, like myself, many listeners have never heard of the nation of Seychelles. But if you are a trivia buff, there's a chance you have a bit of knowledge about it. A fun fact is that one of Seychelles Islands is the only place in the world, or actually it may be a couple of them, um, the source was unclear, uh, but it is the only place in the world where the coco de mer grows. The tree produces the largest wild-grown fruit. It's a giant coconut, weighs like 70, 80 pounds. They're huge, called the sea coconut, the double coconut, and in certain crowds, it's the love nut. Not even kind of kidding, so be warned before you look the Coco de Mer up. It is very close to not safe for work, and it is borderline inappropriate. This has nothing to do with Costa Cecelwa, so pretend there is an amazingly witty and or clever segue into you enjoying the anthem with me before I get into the story, because as usual, we've got to hear the thing. And uh, this is a short song, though I will see you in less than a minute and 40 seconds. In all the recordings of this, uh, I can't find anything that's, like, super good quality. It it all sounds kind of old-timey. It kind of gives me the feel of people in a grandstand at a country fair. That's not what they're going for. I can tell you that without giving you a spoiler. But it is, uh, that's how it feels to me. And it might be another relic of my lack of musical training. A little bit about the country. 
the history of Seychelles in the lead up to their anthem is an interesting story, and it's a little bit different from other countries I've read about. Before we get into that, I want to place this thing on the globe because you don't know where it is, more than likely. If you do, that's great. Get a globe or Google Maps and pull up Africa. Find Madagascar. It is the large island off the eastern coast of the continent. Now, if you're looking at a globe, get on Google Maps, because Seychelles is almost certainly not on the globe. It's not on the one I have. It's very small. You'll need to actually use the search to be able to locate it, because knowing the capital, Victoria, is 800 miles off the east coast of Africa didn't help me figure out where it is, because Seychelles is like 155 smallish islands spread over an 800-mile range in the Indian Ocean. So it's a diffusion, uh, a, a small archipelago. I have trouble with this word. Archipelago. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. Uh, it's a country that's geographic, geographically diffuse in ways that are very different from the part of North America I'm in. The actual land area of the islands is about 451 square kilometers, 174 square miles. For comparison, Chicago in the U.S. is 228 square miles, so diffuse is the right description. So it's beautiful, though. Look up some photos of this place. I'm going to refer to that several times. It's an actual island paradise. It is also largely empty, because 85% of the 100,000 or so people that live there at any given time are on two of the islands, or three of them. Uh, the largest is Mahe, and most of the rest of the people live on the two neighboring islands of Praslin and Ladige, or maybe Ladigue. My French is non-existent. Despite some sources indicating that because of some badly degraded tomes that were lost to erosion in the 90s, Arab sailors made landfall sometime in the 7th century, the first really solid documentation of the largest three islands was made by none other than Vasco da Gama sometime in March of 1503. They were named the Tres Hermanos, or the Three Brothers, in his charts. In case you don't remember Vasco da Gama, this guy literally started European colonialism by getting around the Horn of Africa and making it to India looking for Christians and spices. Da Gama was also belittled by the king of Calicut, or, yeah, I think Calicut, I think they were a king, the king of Calicut, for not having any gold or silver as a royal gift. And then he got angry that they were being required to pay taxes like a common trader, and he kidnapped 20 people to get away. For this, and the straight-up piracy that they resorted to heading there and back, he was rewarded a hereditary lordship and a town. Uh, as we've already heard... In the story of La Desalinian, colonialism did not improve after Vasco da Gama got the ball rolling. The next time we can be certain people saw Seychelles was in 1609 when the crew of the Ascension were lost at sea during a voyage with the East India Company. They even landed on one of the islands and reported it on return. Surprisingly enough, the British government took no action. The next hundred or so years involved sporadic occupation of parts of Seychelles by pirates taking advantage of the new India trade routes that doesn't really count as people 
quote, living there, I think. As of 1715, the French established a permanent presence on what is now named Mauritius, uh, even though that is east of Madagascar and roughly 1,200 miles from Seychelles, they went ahead and claimed the island chain anyway, because that's what the French did in the 1700s. And in 1742, Francois Bertrand Mahi de la Bordonnaise, uh, the governor of Mauritius, sent an expedition to try and shorten the commute to India for French traders. They found a beautiful land that was full of natural resources to exploit and completely bereft of other humans to compete with. So the French went back and forth a few times over the next few years to map the archipelago and finally formally claimed them in 1768. Two years later, the beginnings of a settlement were established, and thereafter it was shown that a faster route to India was possible via Seychelles. Within a few years, they had established some spice cultivation, such as black pepper, cinnamon, and that sort of stuff. Then the French Revolution happened in 1790, and the colonists decided that they were going to do their own thing according to their own constitution. It was a fairly standard thing that they drew up, and like most constitutions, it kept it okay to own people because how could an economy possibly work without slave labor? The next 40 or so years in Seychelles are interesting enough for its own podcast, but this is not going to be, obviously. Uh, a creative administrator named Quincy adopted a policy not of neutrality, but instead of take care of everyone and capitulate to all comers. They harbored pirates, surrendered over and over again to the British and the French, and everything just sort of worked out until 1835. At that point, slavery was completely banned in the British Empire, and there had definitely been no preparation for that in the now-colonial British Seychelles, and the economy of the islands completely collapsed. The islands slowly recovered, though. Britain was actively eliminating slavery in the colonies, and part of that was raiding Arab slave trading camps and liberating people from them. There is a movie in that series of events somewhere. Many of the liberated folk were relocated to Seychelles because they needed laborers, and are we surprised that the British thought they knew what was best for some other people? That was unfair. Americans do that, too. Uh, the resettlement project that got the islands going again in an economic sense also had the effect of making the Seychelles an incredibly diverse place. There are cultural influences from all over Africa, and the French influence never really left. Uh, that, along with uh, other parts of the British Empire, gave them a burgeoning cultural identity that contributed to the successful push for Seychelles to become an independent crown colony in 1903. Due to its remoteness... Uh, both the British and the French thought that the islands were an excellent place to exile political prisoners. The British Empire had a ton of enemies from all over the world, so they contributed to the country's diversity. Most of these folk actually just kind of fell in love with the place and the weather because it was a, you know, it was an island paradise. Seriously, if I'm ever arrested for political crimes in my country, I want them to exile me to the U.S. Virgin Islands. But I'm only mentioning it here because of a tie-in with a future episode. The first political exile was the Sultan Abdullah. He was a sultan of a small Malaysian island called Perak. The sultan's son had a fondness for the local music in Seychelles and brought a French folk tune that he learned called La Rosalie back with him to Malaysia. And in a series of events that you'll hear about later on when I get to Malaysia... 
it became the national anthem. World War I was tough on Seychelles, and the war effort had the empire neglecting the more far-flung colonies that until they were strategically important, anyway. The rich planters there agitated for rights, goods, and they started to get them at some point. Conditions steadily increased, and in 1939, literate landowners formed an association that got them the vote in a 1948 election. The results reflected the fact that only 2,000 of the 3,600 people had achieved suffrage. There were no further political action until after the birth of one of our composers, David Andre. Remember how I'm actually talking about the national anthem here about this? We're getting there, I promise. The 1948 vote matters, even though it's not representative because it was the beginning of the archipelago's separation from the empire. By 1966, other political parties had formed, and these led to more political reform that culminated in a constitutional convention, leading to the promulgation of a constitution in November. Further elections in 1974 led to an independence referendum, and in 1976, the country stood up as an independent republic. They had an anthem and a flag and everything, but two years into the timeline, there was a coup while the president was overseas, and a guy named Franz Albert René installed himself as the head of a white minority-ruled and ostensibly socialist government. To be fair, there was a ton of development in the country during the rule of what is now called the People's Party, and they were for a time the most developed country in Africa. That said, there were years of suppression, exile, and political violence that almost always proceeds from a one-party state. As per usual, though, we're just touching on that stuff, and we have to kind of breeze over the tragedy and leave that for another show on another time. Do read more about it, because maybe you will do that show. And the next skip of the rock that we're riding on is into the early 1990s. The president finally caved to pressure from the people, and the Constitution was amended to allow multiple parties. Despite that and further reforms, the People's Party remained in power until... 2020. Yes, a couple years ago. For our purposes, the most important thing that came out of this process was that upon promulgation of the new constitution in 1993, there was a contest held to find a new national anthem for the country. We know the result, but before I report it, there is a time jump backwards, and then we gotta catch a couple people up, because they wrote the song. That is, I'm gonna catch them up kinda how I can. They're interesting guys, and there is a interesting blind spots in the information about them. George George's Payet and David Andre are two of the most famous people in the country, but as with most of the anthem creators, that doesn't mean that they're famous enough to easily find information about if you're an average American podcaster like me. It's doubly interesting with these two gentlemen because they are very much alive at the time of this recording. In fact, the most recent news about one of them is a March 28th 2023 article explaining that David is not seeking a third term as the mayor of the capital city, Victoria, because he is now the Secretary General for Seychelles National Institute of Cultural Heritage and the Arts. The most recent item for George's was his participation in a cultural tourism roundtable discussing the post-COVID state of things in 2021. So when post-pandemic was even further away than it is now, 
in his role as chairman of the Seychelles Music Association. So alive and pretty heavily involved in the country that they wrote the song for and literally watched form as they grew up. They're both no older than my mother, so it is a pretty new place. Mr. Andre and Mr. Payette were both born in the 1950s, I'm assuming. Uh, David was definitely born in 1958. George is just based on his photograph and that he's a contemporary of this other guy. He's in his, yeah, born in the 50s. Can't really find a date on him, though. Uh, when George's was 10, his mother got him a guitar to help keep him from wandering off. And by the time he turned 14, all eight of the Payette kids were recording music together. As his sisters got married, he and the other brothers went on to form a band that in 2013 was still playing gigs. Because, in George's own words, the Seychelles economy was in tatters. And in a small place like this, famous means selling about a thousand CDs. Famous is not always rich. So George's and his band Saturn are as famous as you can be in Seychelles. Their music is not bad at all either. You should look that up too. The unofficial and much beloved New Year's song for the country is written by them. And in 2019, they were recognized on the 40th anniversary of an iconic song for their many cultural contributions to the islands. The man has a life absolutely steeped in living his country's music. In most cases I've considered so far, and have read about, there have been two guys involved in writing an anthem, and one has always been more well-known than the other, or more prominent or involved in history or some way. This is not really the case for Seychelles, because David and George are both easily equally famous in their country. Like I said earlier, since the writing of Coste Seychellois, he's been the mayor of the capital city, and is currently a high-level government official. Before Mr. Andre was a musician, he was a telecommunications guy that worked as a radio officer. He was always interested in music, though, and started learning classical guitar as an exchange student to France, but was forced to return home due to unspecified political turmoil, according to David himself. Later on, he was afforded the chance to return to France and specialize in classical guitar. He returned to Seychelles in the mid-1980s and worked for the government building a music education program. And then he went to British Columbia to complete his music education degree and a postgrad in instructional design. He again returned to Seychelles and worked with a team to develop a program to teach music to primary school children. It's not really surprising to me that after the ratification of a constitution in 1993 that both of these guys submitted entries in the competition to write the national anthem for Seychelles. Because they both clearly care about their country and are two great musicians that live there. Now, at some point during the selection process, the committee approached David, Georges, and a third man named Antoine Azimia because they liked parts of what all three were doing, but they didn't like any one of their ideas enough to commit to it. So they proposed that the three men work together and come up with a song that reflected all the chosen elements. The gentleman that I've only mentioned once backed out of the proposal, and he backed out of the chance to be one of the main characters in my show. George and David, however, got together and they wrote Coste Seselwa in a single day, in what they called, in a correction letter to a newspaper, a beautiful house at La Plan Saint Andre at El Cap on Mahi. They did a fairly seamless patchwork of their individual entries and the official arrangement of the music was contracted out to a Russian orchestral expert named Anatoly 
Savatinov. It was adopted on Seychelles National Day, June 18th, 1996. Uh, the National Day, the American equivalent of Seychelles National Day is our Independence Day. Now, this is definitely the shortest anthem that I've read about so far. Uh, a long playthrough of the thing is maybe a minute and 40 seconds. But the authors put a lot of emotional depth into a small chronological space. As always, I will be reading the lyrics in English, but understand that the song is written and performed in French and a Seychellese Creole. Given its brevity, I'm going to break form slightly and just read the entire thing. Uh, you know that this song is short. You've heard it already today. Then I will discuss what I can about it. Seychelles, our only motherland, where we live in harmony. Happiness, love, and peace, we give thanks to God. Preserve the beauty of our country, the riches of our oceans, a precious heritage for the happiness of our children. Live forever in unity, raise our flag, together for all eternity, join together all Seychelles. I will get my musical thoughts out of the way right away. Now, as you might have guessed from my initial assessment of the song, I'm not really impressed with the choices that were made by Savatinov as far as his arrangement goes. There's nothing, like, wrong with it, per se, but it's another song that's not for me, and it is not going to make it onto my Google Music playlist. But a bunch of national anthems are actually on there, so answers the question, are they all bad? The anthem does present something a little bit different, though. The few that you've heard me discuss so far were written by people that were involved in the revolutionary action of the country or written about revolutionaries. So they were sort of, like, old-timey in a lot of ways. But there's none of that here. This is two contemporary musicians at the height of their powers that are doing some extremely patriotic writing about their country to let everybody know how much they love it. And there's no revolution. The British Empire just kind of gave up Seychelles and let them become independent. It, it is, it's obviously it is more complicated than that, but this is a podcast about the national anthem and not all of the formation of the country. The song, it seems to be written with an ABAB rhyming scheme in the original French, but the rhyme feels a little bit forced to me uh, with the ears of a non-native speaker of French. Uh, having just looked at how the words are spelled. But, again, I'm not a native speaker, so I'm, I'm almost certainly off base there. Now, they start off with, in the first quartet, speaking of harmony and peace and happiness, as they should, uh, through the island's history and the extremely lucky chain of events that has followed most of it, it's been generally untouched by humans and avoided all of our wars for the most part and ridiculous human problems. The country is had by virtue of its lack of military and its far-flungedness as essentially peaceful a run as a populated country can have. It's been common among religious people to thank their God. Doesn't surprise me that that line is in there. It's a place that you should definitely be thankful for. Again, I will iterate that you should look pictures of it up and possibly go on vacation there. The authors continue with something that I've not seen in any other anthems that I've researched so far. 
a plea to preserve the environment and the natural resources of the ocean for their children. If this had been written even ten years earlier, I think this quartet would be very different, and there wouldn't be anything about the environment in there. The 80s were a different time. The early 90s were, at least in my country, one of the times when we got a little bit of a blurb like, we might want to pay attention to the environment. Uh, I get it, though. The pictures of this country's untouched-by-man areas are pictures of stunning and pristine nature spots. I find it like a broken record about that. They should be protected, and in Seychelles, they actually amended Article 38 of their Constitution to try and do that for the people there. The article states in part that, quote, the state recognizes the right of every person to live in and enjoy a clean and healthy and ecologically balanced environment, end quote. It continues, but that's all. The rest of it's like technical law stuff. As a small and fairly new island nation, the country will certainly feel the effects of climate change earlier than many other countries that contributed far more to it. Now, the final verse, it feels kind of hokey to me when I read it, but it's classical national anthem stuff that we're being presented with. They call for unity, permanence, standing with the flag, joining together with your country. The patriotic tone is unmistakable. The brevity and the straightforwardness of the lyrics almost make me wish there were a series of historically dense lines to unpack, because we're at the end of the show, and I feel like I've talked a lot and told you not very much this time. But alas, I did go into this project recognizing that sometimes we will encounter some intensely mundane stuff, like fantastically mundane. And this is kind of our first example of something that feels rather uh, astoundingly normal. But there will be other episodes and there will be ridiculous things. Uh, Hopefully you will hear them. The writing and recording and production for the show are done by me, and I also wrote and played the intro and outro music and I use the music with my permission. Unless otherwise noted, the anthems that I play are public domain stuff, this one is, my sources, and other tasty bits I found are contained in the show notes. The most direct way to get to those show notes is at anthemspodcast.com. You can find me on Facebook and WhatsApp, even though I don't have any idea how to log into WhatsApp. I am the Anthems Podcast. I don't know if I will ever get on the rest of the socials. Uh, It is increasingly unlikely it will happen. You can email me corrections, comments, suggestions, ideas, instructions on how to do awesome things, recipes for food from any of the countries that I talk about, because eating is awesome. Or you could ask me questions at anthemspod at gmail.com. For better or for worse, you can call me and leave me a voicemail at Plus one two zero three seven five nine eight three seven five. So for now, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, or you'll hear me. <laughs> <laughs>